uh, truly prompted by wow by God. And uh, I went and I heard him and he presented the gospel and he presented the good news of the gospel always starts with the bad news in the mm-hmm. same way that Paul presented it uh, in Romans, mm-hmm. uh, that wonderful masterpiece that starts out with the dark doom and gloom of what wretched snakes we are. <laughs> <laughs> and for really the first time, it hit me that it wasn't, I wasn't a victim of life that, oh, woe is me. Life is so bad and sour and done me wrong, but that I'm the bad guy of the story. I need to repent here. And he presented a salvation of repentance unto the Lord. Hmm. And what a novel idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, did it, it, struck me like uh straight from heaven hmm. and uh, i sat there he and he gave an altar call and uh of course i, I understand altar calls um it can be problematic it can be yeah definitely is it's a cultural construct really mm-hmm. uh, it, it really is now i didn't realize it at the time because now i am uh proudly and and uh, I'm a, I'm a two fisted uh, reformed Christian. <laughs> and, yes. I, and I will fight. I will fight for <laughs> reformed doctrines. But um, I didn't understand. Certainly at the time, I was under the impression that mm-hmm. he gives. He says, "Hey, if if you want Jesus, come walk down this aisle, say the prayer, and then, bang, God." forgives you and then then you will be born again mm. and i did respond to that uh and i did i did the there was something going on with my heart clearly mm-hmm. uh, obviously god was working in my heart he imparted new he imparted new life to me prior to walking down there exactly walking down was a response to the new <laughs> right. life that that god had granted me by his grace, yeah. I wouldn't have walked down the aisle with my dead, stony heart <laughs> uh, as an exactly. enemy of God. An enemy of God does not walk down the aisle to say, once I get to the end of the aisle, then I'll lay my weapons down and then you will, you'll bring me back into your kingdom and forgive me of the rebellion. <laughs> right. He, that's, that's not a rebellious thing to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> he as we know in Romans, the gospel has to be presented and then the it's a supernatural miracle to change a dead heart into a live heart. Yep. And God had, we're going back to the story, my story, God has uh, predestined me and mm-hmm. all of us who are saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had predestined, he predestines us to that moment of salvation. He predestined us every step of the way. Uh, and he turned the light on. He put the, the, the life into me. He shot the life into me at that moment sitting there. Mm-hmm. And it was only uh, my walking down the aisle was not to get saved, but it was in response to being saved. And so yeah. many of my non Calvinistic, non-reformed friends, they really struggle 
and some of them, they just can't see it. And I say, as a firefighter paramedic, I say, look, when, when a baby is born and the, the old trope of the doctor smacks the baby on the hind end, right? <laughs> and the baby yeah. cries, it is, is, and that is the sign of life that the baby's alive and it's crying. So mm-hmm. everybody understands that. Well, is the baby not alive until it cries? And, and the crying is when the life begins or is the crying a response to life that is already in the child and that child is responding to being alive? Wow. That's, that's a really good example. I, I hadn't thought about that before. That's yeah, a so, really good example. Yeah. So, but I didn't understand certainly at the time when I walked the aisle for at the John Muncy. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't have either. So, <laughs> right. Well, a, we grow up. We grow up in, in our knowledge, and we add to our faith knowledge, as Peter says. Yep. Um, but that was that was the real start for me. And and John Muncy, um, I have heard him. I've I've seen him on the internet. He is uh, no fan of reformed uh, <laughs> theology. <laughs> Uh, to put it mildly, but I, I thank that man for presenting the gospel to me. Um, and I, I don't know what he would think if he heard uh, someone who would say, hey, you know, uh, I responded to the gospel message that you that you preached. Um, and and I am wholeheartedly, uh, two fistedly reformed. <laughs> I don't know what he would think. Because He'd be so disappointed. <laughs> He'd walk like, you oh. back down the aisle, back to your seat. <laughs> He'd walk away scratching his head saying, well, what did I do wrong? Yeah. What did I say wrong? I messed that one up. Oh, no. <laughs> but the, the, there is an order to the chaos of the world and the universe and to what seemed like my life of just a scattered, uh, a shattered million pieces that don't fit together in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's providence, which is is a concept that has really been lost, we, mm-hmm. we know that for, for oh, many yeah. years now. We gotta we're 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 recovering that. <laughs> yeah, but that that providence and that sovereignty uh, over each and every person, over everything, as as Sproul says, over every molecule. There's no random rogue molecule out there. Uh, is it's not just a security blanket like oh i just can't handle the the rough reality of a a wild out of control world so i'll just make up this idea even as a christian uh, that god's got everything in control well it is it's a wonderful security but it's also true thankfully it's it's true uh yeah and, and that is i i was not uh knowledgeable in in my so uh, my salvation really, uh, and my sanctification really started after that meeting. And then I moved away sh- to Chicago after I graduated and I worked in Chicago in the inner city, uh, with a, a church organization that ran shelters and, and soup mm-hmm. kitchen on the North side of Chicago. And the very first time I ever heard, uh, anyone articulate the, 
the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism was in a Romans class at that church. Oh. And, and they presented both sides. I had never heard it. And they mm. said, well, uh, we really, we just kind of look at it as it's both because we just can't figure it out. <laughs> so <laughs> they stood, you know, firmly planted in midair as far sure. as that went. But but they did a good job, especially in that class. They did a good job of they articulated very well both sides of the argument. This mm. is what the Armenian side is, and this is the Calvinistic side. And as they were talking, I sat there and I was like, I'm a Calvinist. I've always been a Calvinist. Nobody ever explained it to me, but I just always put it together that I mean it's just what I always You just didn't have the label by. for it. Yeah, yeah. Just reading again. Uh, when people say, oh, uh, if listening to debates, of course, if you hear Leighton Flowers and, uh, and James White or, or any of these guys mm. debating back and forth and, and the, the Arminian guy, it always goes, well, the people that, that buy into your idea, uh, they, they've been kind of brainwashed in a sense because you, you fed them your uh, understanding of what Romans 9 means for so long that they can't see it any other way, but really they only see it that way because you led them down that path. And I can say from my personal testimony is nobody led me down that path. Mm -hmm. The first time I ever cracked a Bible open to Romans nine and I read it, I immediately understood. I understood mm -hmm. it from the Calvinistic viewpoint with no one ever telling me. And I was like, wow, this is heavy. And I, nobody ever instructed me on that. And then when I heard of Calvinism and uh, mm -hmm. that um, at least this area of Calvinism, there's certainly more to the Reformed uh, understanding than just predestination. Uh, right. Tip of the iceberg. Yes. But oh, but a very important uh, tip. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody had to uh, tell me that's what it meant, at least for myself, that I I clearly saw it that way. Yeah. And and it wasn't until then, really, I came to a, a point where I had married and we had kids. We had um, my wife was pregnant with my we have two children, a, a son and a daughter, and they're adults now. But uh, my wife was pregnant with my son. And uh, as odd as it may sound, if, if you back remember back to the movie Saving Private Ryan. Mm hmm. And uh, the uh, the beginning of the movie was the the D-Day invasion of the beaches of Normandy, uh, Omaha Beach, and what a bloodbath mm -hmm. that was for the, the Allied troops there. And I went and saw the movie, and I'm a, I'm a history buff anyway, mm -hmm. so none of this was a, a surprise to me. But watching that film uh, at that time, that was probably the most well done, dramatic, realistic depiction of combat that uh, modern combat that had ever been put on film. And I, and I remember at the time being in Chicago and the, the papers were running stories on old veterans getting sick and having to leave the theater because they were having flashbacks and, Oh wow. <laughs> and how realistic it was. And they were interviewing veterans and you hear about Vietnam vets having flashbacks, but not, not necessarily uh, world war two vets mm -hmm. and, and these guys going, it all came back after all these years, you know, 60 years or whatever. And it was just so real. Well, there's a, for me, I, 
I've never been in the military and I certainly wasn't around in, in World War II. Uh, but the scene where they're in the landing craft and the, the doors come down and all the guys are packed in there and they're trying to, to get out and rush up the beach and the machine guns just mow them down. They don't even, they, they don't even get out. They're just rows of men just fall. Yeah. Uh, and, and that scene in particular, uh, but then the whole movie was, I came out of that movie in a crisis. I really was in a crisis of despair of like life is so random. What is, uh, how, how does that work that we can say that God is, is watching over us, but all you have to do is you, you pack a, a dozen Christians next to a, a dozen atheists and every single person in there, uh, gets mowed down. Hmm. It, it, it's all a matter of where you were standing at the time. Where is God in this? It's just so random. It's just, hmm. it's just chaos. And it just touched on a, 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 a gap in theology and, and understanding for me. And it really sent me into kind of a tailspin. And, uh, I remember talking to some older men from church that I really respected and some pastors who I've really, I have great respect for and discussing this with them. And, uh, they didn't have an answer for me. Oh my goodness. They had no answer. And I, I had some people tell me, well, it's just a movie. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a based yes. on real life. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, <laughs> Oh, my uh, they're goodness. just, they're just reenacting something that truly happened in reality. And then, uh, uh, I had, and again, I respected him immensely. Um, this pastor told me, well, you know, that's just how God made the world works. It has to function in a certain way. And in reality, there's, uh, it's going to take a number of men being killed so that another group of men can actually go forward and, and take over the beach. Well, that doesn't help. That's you're, mm. you're not, you're missing the point is that life is out of control and it's, it's funny. And I, I don't know. I, I've never known who sang it, but at the time, so that movie came out, I think in 95 or 96, mm -hmm. there was a very popular song. It was on the radio all the time. And one of the, the, the chorus or the refrain of the song was, uh, it was a female singer was God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. This wasn't a Christian song. This was, mm. a, this was a secular song on the radio everywhere. And it was really popular at the time. And, uh, I just remember that you would go into a restaurant, it would be playing, or you go somewhere and you hear it on the radio and it would say, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. And it, it was kind of a, I, I thought it was kind of a sad, melancholy kind of a tune. And mm -hmm. I think even that statement is a sad, melancholy statement is like, okay, well, that's nice. Oh, God's watching from a distance, but I'm kind of on my own. And that, that song, along with that movie, they just fit together into this crisis of, okay, there is a God. I love him. Uh, and I know he loves us, but I'm, I'm stuck in this crisis of, is he just a God that is watching from a distance as uh, certainly, uh, you know, the deists or, or would say, Oh he yeah. Wound everything up and he, but, but even the Arminian, even if they're, uh, un, 
unwittingly saying that same thing. Well, God is off. He's on his faraway hill looking at us through a telescope, and he mm-hmm. sees that everybody's going to get killed when they step out of that boat, and there's nothing he can really do about it except try and pick up the pieces and make something good out of what happens. Ugh. Still, he's at a distance watching us, and the story of these people's lives, every person in that boat has a story, and it's playing out, and God's hands are off. And Th- that is, is such a frightening idea. <laughs> yes. And and thankfully, I, again, I don't think God's hands are off any of us, and I don't think his hands were off me. That was part of the story in that crisis was him leading me into growing up, my sanctification and, and growing in my knowledge and my faith. But that provoked me on a deeper journey <laughs> mm-hmm. um, into what is going on here. Um, and when I was introduced to, I was, uh, when we moved back here to Ohio and, uh, I started my second career as a firefighter paramedic and I worked with another firefighter who was reformed and, uh, thankfully he was a faithful listener to Ligonier and RC yeah. Sproul <laughs> and he turned me on to RC Sproul and, you know, from there, it was just, this is what has been missing. This is what my friends uh, who were compassionate to me and and they listened and they heard me, but they didn't have that sovereignty of God. To, that it, is a, it is a wonderful doctrine. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And, and without, without a solid uh, doctrinal basis for the sovereignty of God, um, the the providence of God means a lot less than it should because to them. So, so for those, those folks who thought, you know, that God's hands were off, um, his providence means next to nothing at that point. So basically, unless he's doing some miracle, right. Then he has no influence whatsoever. So it's either, an obvious miracle that he performs or God has no influence in the world at all. And instead, I think the, obviously the more, the more biblical approach and, uh, and the one certainly that RC would teach is that, you know, God is sovereign over, uh, over every atom, every molecule in the universe. And it's all, uh, it's all turning to, to fulfill his plan. And, so God in his providence interacts with his creation in manifold ways, um, ways that are blatantly obvious and in ways that are subtle uh, through the use of means uh, more often than not. And, and sometimes even without the use of means uh, and, but those are all things that, that come back to, to his glory, uh, not, not ours, but, um, but God is very active in the world. And and there's a purpose for, uh, for all the things that that occur, um, and so we don't suffer purposeless pur- purposelessly. Wow, that that was tough to say. <laughs> so you know, dollar word. So your so so your experience, you know, growing up, um, with with the broken family situation, you know that that was part of God's plan for your life, and. Uh, has come uh, 
to to glorify him. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was difficult, um, and it it grew you as a person. Um, it and uh, and shaped you, um, but our but our pain, our suffering isn't purposeless. And when when we realize that, or or we finally wake up to that idea, um, man, that that changes so many things. Oh yes, it it changes everything. Your entire perspective, absolutely. No purposeless pain. That is a truth that I I listen to many debates. Of course, uh, like many of your listeners, I, I enjoy I really enjoy listening to James White debate others and. Uh, I, I listen to other debaters, but as hard as I try and I listen uh, to the other side and I go, I, I cannot see it. It doesn't make sense. So I want to go back to something that you said before about, especially the, uh, the, the, the crisis, the, the existential crisis that uh, that Saving Private Ryan kind of set you into. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the benefits uh, of of fiction, whether it's on on the screen or or on paper um, in a novel or 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 something like that or a movie or a TV show? What what benefit does a Christian get from fiction? Obviously, it's 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 not scripture, right? So, um, so there's certainly a whole category that that wouldn't exist for fiction. But um, what what does a Christian get from engaging in a in a good story? Well, uh, now I'm going to come at this from my perspective as somebody that I grew up uh, reading mostly secular books and watching secular movies and and TV shows. Uh, and I, and a lot of our popular entertainment was quite a bit different than it is now. So I grew up watching John Wayne movies, and uh, in those movies, John Wayne was generally uh, the good guy. He was you knew in those type of movies you knew who wore the white hat and who wore the black hat, mm-hmm. and. That was really good for me. It really was good for me um, in seeing, at least as a young man, seeing men back then who did the right thing. That they, it might be uh, a situation where they're they're afraid, or they they know that they're not going to come out of this. Uh, in some of the old war movies, John Wayne would die in in the Alamo. Those guys believed they were fighting for freedom uh, against the tyranny of the of the Mexican army at the time and they knew that they were gonna they were gonna die and they were scared and you watch that and you watch them uh, doing the right thing even if it cost them a lot and I truly believe that instilled in me some some correct values uh, where I, I didn't have a dad to model that for me, but I was seeing it uh, even in allegorical ways, right? I, I know that if, if John Wayne is going to make things right and, and the guy is mistreating a lady and then he belts him in the mouth in the saloon, I can't go around doing that. But um, <laughs> allegorically, <laughs> it, it just illustrates, you know, 
doing the right thing, standing up for the person uh, who is in trouble, standing up for the person that needs rescue, being the good guy, not telling the lie. I used to love Hopalong Cassidy. I don't know how many people know old Hopalong Cassidy movies, um, but he was, he had white hair and he was like the most popular movie cowboy back in the forties and fifties. I mean the top and he dressed all in black. So, which was, uh, really shocking at the time. The good guy that dressed all in black, but he had silvery white hair and mm. he never drank. They would always have a scene where he'd go into the saloon and they, they would say, what do you have? And he'd be like, none of this stuff. Huh? Give me a sarsaparilla or milk or something. And they'd, everybody kind of look, at him. <laughs> uh, but he was a good guy. And, um, so good works of, of fiction, um, can show you right behavior and right actions. A good work of fiction can create in you uh, a sense of emotion that is, it can lead you to a right response in a story. So one of my favorite books of all time uh, is The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor mm -hmm. Hugo. I, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've read it, mm -hmm. but uh, so powerful. Um, even if it's just seeing the wrong that someone does, learning from someone else's wrong and, and uh, what they do and, and some of the struggles that, that other characters go through. The emotions that I went through reading uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, was, I'd never been in Notre Dame. I'd, I'd never encountered The Hunchback or any of the, <laughs> the, the things that, that were going on there and, and the, the gypsies and, and all this. Uh, but that story transported me to a place where I hadn't been to events where I could never take, be a part of. And in the mastery of storytelling, then places me there and I can experience it and it will guide me in understanding of, Whoa, this, this is wrong. What's taking place. No, this should be happening here. This, this is something that's wrong or this is something that's right. Uh, I think in a sense, a, a good story can be a moral tutor for someone. I think Jesus's stories, uh, oh, sure. in that capacity. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that's certainly the, uh, the history of uh, a book like uncle Tom's cabin as well. Um, yeah. which, which may have been more effective than, uh, a lot of the, um, sort of, uh, vigilante, uh, anti-slavery actions that were happening at the time. Uh, I, I think that that book and, and the themes and the characters and all the things that make it a great book uh, were were effective in in helping turn the tide against slavery in the United States. Um, it's an, it's another going to your point about how a work of fiction can even serve as a as a moral guide. I think that's another example of uh, of that for sure. I can see some of these themes uh, even in your book as well. You know, uh, so I think. Um, I think Breaker Ford as a character uh, really does kind of serve in that uh, that hop along Cassidy sort of way. Like he he is um, he has the right motives um, and he's got kind of the tenacity to to go forth and and serve on those um, and do do the right thing. I don't want to I don't want to give too much away of the story, but I, I'm curious um, for you as the writer. Um, how did you 
kind of place these, um, I'll say Christian values, Christian virtues, Christian worldview uh, into your novel. Um, and, and were you intending to do it in a, in an obvious way or, or sort of a, sort of a sideways uh, inference kind of way? Well, very much uh, in this story uh, in a very sideways uh, kind of a way, as you said, uh, now, like we were talking about uh, stories actually guiding you and uh, characters that, that are a good representation of, of righteousness and good guys wearing white hats, you know, in, in just my lifetime, uh, that really changed a lot. And specifically, truly, I don't know if it was completely, but with Clint Eastwood, he was with his man with no name, the spaghetti Western. Oh yeah. And, um, he was the anti-hero. John Wayne actually despised those movies mm -hmm. and he was really not a fan of Clint Eastwood. Um, because, Clint in those movies was he ended up doing good uh, only kind of by chance. He really was he was he was not necessarily amoral, but he was non-moral. He was just a neutral character that just by chance he ended up uh, being the hero where he was. So I guess you could say he was not really a hero or. He was the anti-hero. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that really became so popular after that, that you have these, the heroes of the movies are not really good guys. Um, you had even in the late 60s, you had the Wild Bunch, that Western mm -hmm. where it follows the the old, uh, really these these vile bank robbers and they, uh, they're kind of presented as the anti-heroes of the story. And you have Bonnie and Clyde and, and uh, that old movie and uh, you have stories that move away from people actually being truly good. So when I wrote my story, it, it, it is a throwback to the old days of the hero is truly the good guy. He's not perfect. He's trying to do right. He's trying to figure his way through this. Uh, and he's, but he is motivated by his, his moral compass is not broken. He just needs to, uh, walk it out and and follow it through, and, yeah. and learn as he's going. Well, and and he runs across um, lots of characters throughout the course of the novel, and it's funny because um, so many of them I feel like have moral compasses that are that are in varying degrees of of disrepair, right? Uh, so th there are some there are very like blatantly obvious evil people and then some people who are evil but trying to look good you know for for the purpose of deceit um and and then other folks who uh who are are somewhere in the middle <laughs> you know uh and i i in reading in reading the book early on as i did uh that was one of the things that really got me it was like i i felt like it was a good even though you know it's it's being spread out across uh, the far reaches of space, but I I felt like there was a good um, a behind behind the plot a good judge of character that there are varying degrees of uh, outward goodness among people too. Not necessarily. It's not not talking about you know you know there's there's black and white morally and then there's gray areas. Uh, I'm not talking about gray areas. I'm talking about the way people 
act uh, as far as character building goes and, and things like that. I, I thought that was a very interesting part of your book as well. Um, there was just a very good judge of character behind behind it. Well, I, I, I'm glad you saw that. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and of course, now the story is we've uh, just kind of touched on is it is a humorous story. It, it's it's a spoof. It's a satire uh, of the old kind of whether it's Star Wars, Flash Gordon or comic booky outer space sort of thing. This is not hard sci-fi. Um, it, it's, it's right. Spooky, but for any story to have any meaning, there has to be a, a base for it. There has to be some uh, gravitas to it that that it means something so there is there is a foundation to this story and so breaker in uh breaker in this story is a young inexperienced space trucker this this story has no relation to earth it's just uh it's just a fictional outer space a once upon a time sort of a thing and he's a he's a space trucker on his first hauling route out in in the galaxy and he's he's not good at it he doesn't know what he's doing. He's got his best friend is Wayne, the hillbilly space farmer that's with him. And uh, along the way, they run into two uh, princess sisters who are themselves being pursued by henchmen for the evil Lord Preposterous, who is a horrible, uh, literally a walking space wart uh, who took over a planet. And he wants to get married and have a queen. Uh, but none of the women on the planet are willing to to marry him, and they all <laughs> exile themselves rather than than marry him. So he's got to steal two princesses from another planet. So these two sisters are on the run because he he wants to pick one of them to marry him. And uh, Breaker and Wayne run into these sisters, and uh, Wayne uh, falls in love with the one sister. Her her name is Princess Contentious. Now, she insists that on, on their planet, contentious means one who is content. But Wayne, of course, realizes, uh, no, that really means you're someone who's kind of cranky. And, uh, of course, that makes her <laughs> even more irritated. And uh, her sister, who Breaker and the, the sister fall in love, she is Princess Babe. And, of course, uh, they think, oh, well, if her name is contentious and it really does seem to fit with her personality – uh, your name, Babe, must be because you're such a the really beautiful sister. And then, of course, they're like, uh, "No, it's because I'm the baby of the family." Uh, and they <laughs> just hold it. Uh, they they don't get it. But um, so Breaker has to he gives up everything to chase after and and rescue the girl. And of course, his sidekick Wayne is is along with him for that and along the way they they run into space barbarians and moon monsters and mad scientists and killer robots uh and one of the henchmen for uh lord preposterous who is trying to help capture the girls uh, uh the egotistic prince tony uh, falls in love with princess babe himself so he's supposed to be trying to bring her back to Lord Preposterous, but he in fact falls in, in love with her himself. 
which adds a bit of a, a problem to the issue. And then along the way, Breaker Ford uh, runs into an evil space queen, Holly Blackguard, who mistakes Breaker for being a heartless uh, criminal, and she falls in love with him. So she's trying to derail Breaker from, from getting Babe because um, she thinks he's actually a heartless cad who would make the, the perfect boyfriend for her. So, <laughs> And in the midst of that, um, Breaker starts out with the, the sense of uh, he's just, he is kind of a, he's the novice in space. He's a, a novice at life. He's a novice at being a space trucker. He's a novice at trying to rescue these princess sisters. And he's a trucker. He's a space trucker. Uh, that's that's really a, a blue collar profession. And he he and and Wayne see that they are they are not really um, of the same class as these princesses. So Breaker has the self uh, the the self doubt that he's like, oh, I've got to prove to myself and everyone else that I'm worthy of of her by being some kind of a space hero, and and uh, succeeding in, in all of this. And so he's trying to impress her. He's trying to impress everybody, trying to impress himself uh, by, by being the, the ultimate space hero and rescuing the princesses. But in the end, now, really, the, the one who sees most clearly in all this is Princess Babe. She is uh, the archetype of the pure-hearted, um, morally correct person who sees uh, the good that's there and she can see through the duplicity of the, of others. And she sees the self-sacrifice and the love that Breaker in all his, because his uh, adventuring does not really go so smooth for him. <laughs> uh <laughs> But she sees that it's it's not the hero posturing that he's after uh, that that makes him uh, a hero. But she she sees that it's the self sacrifice uh, that really is uh, what what's what's at the heart of the matter there. Uh, so that's that's what's taking place in the story, and in the midst of it, as you said, there's. There is a theme. I, I think you had mentioned it earlier prior to the broadcast another time that we had talked, but that you saw that one theme in it is that nothing is really as it seems. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. show up on a planet or they'll run into people and you will think one thing is one way and it's not. And isn't that kind of how life is? Oh, somehow? yeah. Oh, yeah. So I. Um, that's that's definitely one of one of the themes in the story, but it is all done. It's uh, in much humor. This is not in any way a dark uh, type of a story. This is, this is yeah, it's it is it's very fun. It's a uh, it's quite a romp, uh, it, and it moves along at a really nice pace. It really keeps you going. It's a uh, it's a, it's a great story. It's a really great story. And I know you've been you've been uh working on it and, and crafting it for a long long time. 
Well, I have. And uh, again, as I, I'm a full-time firefighter paramedic. Uh, so that's where the majority of my time goes. And uh, I'm a little bit scattered in, so I've written this book and another complete novel, which is a more epic uh, adventure story. And is it is a uh, blatantly, it's a reformed adventure story. <laughs> cool. Uh, so I've, I've been working on Breaker Ford at the same time I've, I've been working on the other story um, and several others that are at various degrees of, of being done. So my other adventure story, uh, which it is high adventure and it is science fiction in the sense that um, it's fiction and there's science involved, but it's not in space, is called The Ruler of the Waves. And uh, that one is uh, about uh, a group of castaways that end up on the island of Atlantis uh, just prior to World War II. And the, the, the people from Atlantis uh, had destroyed themselves by their own scientific knowledge that had gone awry and they they had destroyed atlantis at the time and now they have been trying to rebuild themselves all these years secretly and they're going to use their super atlantean science to retake over the world now the nazis show up uh, in their u-boats and they want to use this super science to take over the world themselves and the group of castaways there are stuck in trying to protect the world at the same time that they are struggling with all these same spiritual and existential uh, issues that you and I had just been discussing for the last hour. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I sent that one, I sent that one to a a Christian publisher and it it was encouraging and discouraging at the same time because they, they actually wrote back and they said, you have a great idea here. Uh, but nobody buys reformed adventure stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, that's a very niche concept. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but a good one. But that, that will, I will get that one out there. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad after all these years, you're still, uh, you're still putting your imagination into, uh, into some good work. So that's, uh, that's awesome and very encouraging. Um, just kind of to, to, to start wrapping up, wrapping it up here. Uh, what, uh, what words of encouragement do you have for, for maybe some fellow Christians out there who, who, uh, would like to write, uh, works of fiction, uh, short stories, novels, uh, screenplays, anything like that. Um, what, based on, on your experience and what you've learned so far, what, what kind of encouragement would you give someone out there who wants to do something similar to what you're doing? Well, write what you enjoy. Uh, don't write what uh, you think might sell. So a reformed adventure story might not sell. <laughs> but um, uh, even in the process of, of writing it and Breaker Ford and some of my other stories, I know that uh, God's worked in my own heart as, as I'm thinking through these stories and constructing them and building them and and building people and, and their history and their personalities. And, uh, I'm learning about myself and, uh, and about God. And, uh, it really can be, uh, a, a spiritual journey, but write something that you, that you enjoy, that you, that is 
real and meaningful to you. Um, and, and at this point, and certainly we know in, in society, <laughs> there are no rules, but um, with writing these days, uh, no one is, is forced into the old traditional publishing paradigm of you have to you have to write what an agent wants you to write or you have to write what is the the popular genre at the time because where it used to be self-publishing was uh, looked at um, cross-eyed it's not that way anymore uh, with Amazon Amazon Kindle and, and all the self-publishing uh, with the internet and, and that technology traditional publishing and sort of their um, they're corralling people into doing things a certain way. The, the sky is the limit. You can do what you want and you will probably find an audience somewhere. May, maybe not a Stephen King size audience, but you will find an audience somewhere. Uh, Very good. That's uh, that's some great words of encouragement. So, uh, so tell folks uh, where they can find your book, where they can pick up a copy. Okay, so my book, it is being sold exclusively on Amazon, Amazon Kindle. Uh, if you have Amazon uh, Kindle Unlimited, uh, you can read it for free. Uh, you can get the ebook. Uh, I will have a, an audio book coming out. Uh, I can't say when, because if I say when and then, I'm, and then it's late and coming out, somebody <laughs> might be upset. <laughs> we'll have an audio book uh, coming out and... Uh, we, we have the paperback just just came out last week. Um, it, it really is a fun book. I, I wrote this as the kind of book I would have wanted to come across in uh, walking through a bookstore or in a library and be pleasantly surprised by what in the world is this? And, <laughs> and uh, it will make you laugh. It just it will. Uh, my my favorite book, um, well, it, it's hard for me to put favorites because uh, I do have The Hunchback of Notre Dame and mm -hmm. and uh, The Great Gatsby and and Moby Dick. Truly, are those are masterful works and and they're wonderful. Uh, but everyone knows the movie The Princess Bride, mm -hmm. but that was oh, based yeah. on a that was based on a book by William Goldman. And that is my favorite book. You will laugh in that thing. And if if you've seen the movie, you know it's funny. The book is a hundred times better because it's three times as long. And and uh, <laughs> boy, as they is. always are. Yes, exactly. So uh, Breaker Ford is is very much in that vein of like the Princess Bride. With the Princess Bride, uh, if you if you have any kind of a heart, there's there's points in that it could bring a tear to your eye. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's as funny as can be, and that's really what what Breaker Ford is is in that type of a style. Wholeheartedly agree. I, I I was happy to be an early reader. I'm so excited to see it in print. And uh, folks need to get over to Amazon and buy Breaker Ford's Adventures in Space. Uh, by the way, the the cover art is uh is your own handiwork as well so you've you've really put you put all of your creative uh skills into this book uh it's a it's a quite a milestone and i uh i'm 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 very proud of you for 
it's 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 so good it's so good people need to people need to pick it up and read it well thank you i i appreciate that and it is true i thought this is this is a lifetime of uh watching uh old old black and white outer space movies and reading comic books and crack magazines and 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 uh, all of that put together and even my own sense of uh really breaker ford is is based on myself mm-hmm. um when i when i moved from bell fountain ohio at 18 years old to the north side of chicago and i was in this entirely new world i didn't know anybody there the, this is the big city the big world and uh it was like i'm like a space trucker out in the middle of nowhere i don't know what i'm doing and really that was kind of the foundation of yeah that, that's what we're going to do here and uh breaker ford's finding his way and and uh, fighting for the woman he loves and and we need that we need stories of good guys that are good doing the right thing and uh, stories that are uplifting and and fun in this period of time that we're in. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I couldn't have said it any better. So thanks for writing it. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. So it'll be real easy to go and, and uh, add it to your cart. Uh, James, thanks so much for speaking to me. And uh, it's a, it's a real pleasure to help promote your book and I hope it sells very well. Oh, thank you, Lee. I appreciate it so much. And, uh, and so thanks to uh, all the listeners as well for joining us. Uh, it, while you're in the show notes, uh, finding the Amazon link, uh, you should also check out uh, the Bard Network. There's a link to the Bard Network website. And uh, check out the uh, the full catalog of, of excellent uh, reformed podcasts on the network. Uh, you will thank me. They're all very lovely and beneficial. And uh, – And so, yes, thank you for listening to Reformed Meditations. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.